0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. My name is Jeff Lyle. For those of you that are tuning in for the first time to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, welcome. We're glad that you found us. Would love to know how you found us. Um, Matter of fact, I'd love to hear from some of you maybe that have been listening a while and uh, let us know how did you stumble upon the podcast? We're always interested to find out um, where we're connecting with people or maybe that there are better ways that we can connect with others. And it might be that the way you found us is a way we could um, help others find us. So if you feel like uh, reaching out, email me at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. That's the uh, podcast email, jeff j-e-f-f at maverickmisfit.com. Tell us how you found us. And um, uh, for those that are listening for the first time, um, you'll figure out pretty quickly if you keep listening week to week, every Tuesday we drop a new episode, you'll figure out pretty quickly that kind of what you hear is what you get. We're not trying to be anything super cool or fancy or anything like that. Um, We're just trying to connect people, provoke them into thought. I guess if somebody asked me hey what do you why do you do the podcast i guess my answer would be i want to provoke people to use their brains um use their bible use their brains and uh cooperate with what the holy spirit is saying and to consider that not everything we were once taught back in the day was necessarily taught by people that had a firm grip on truth and i think there's a great need in the church for us to constantly be diagnosing and evaluating Is what we believe true? Not did somebody say it was true, but is it true? And the only way to really know if what you believe and practice is true is by um, researching it, studying out prayerfully, uh, seeking Holy Spirit guidance and wisdom through the Bible, through the scriptures. And uh, that's too narrow for a lot of people. A lot of people are just lazy. <laughs> a lot of people in the church are just lazy, and they don't want to go through the effort of trying to examine their faith and examine their beliefs and examine their practices. They just want to have the good time vibe and feel good and be what they call free from any kind of constraints that have anything to do with doctrine or have anything to do with you know disciplines of the faith. They just want to feel it. And man, I'm glad I feel my faith. I can tell you this. I'm, I don't run away from feeling my faith. Matter of fact, I want to feel everything that God wants me to feel at the level he wants me to feel it. But that is never an escape clause for us being people uh, of the word. And so on Mavericks and Misfits, just like pretty much on Transforming Truth at Antioch Outpost at Conejo Ministry Training Center, anywhere I get to speak into, you're going to find a constant thread of us remaining people of the word and the spirit and that is not a slogan that's a mandate you've got to be a person of apostolic doctrine the word and you've got to be a person of the spirit the personhood of the spirit the gifts of the spirit the fruit of the spirit and you don't get to pick one above the other nor do I we have to press into that okay that's the message for today we'll see you later no I'm just kidding um a couple of weeks ago I uh, posted something on Facebook that um I didn't really see it coming, but it generated um, a little bit of a, I don't know, whatever. It, it drew some attention, some positive, some negative. Um, I never, I'm not a clickbait guy. I don't like to throw verbal grenades out there to see what will happen when it explodes. I don't think that's mature. I just kind of post whatever I hear the Lord saying um, when he when he leads me to release it publicly. And so um, a couple of weeks ago, I just basically um, posted a comment that said maybe a little tongue in cheek public service announcement uh, Christians are allowed to sever ties with people in their lives that are dangerous and toxic and people of division and friction and um i i think i made the comment some of you are late in doing so and of course it got shared hundreds of times but um It also generated some comments on it, and I realized, hey, I've touched something here because most of the feedback was thanking, saying, thank you for for saying this, because people struggle with the idea of severing ties with toxic people in their lives, and it's primarily because there is some tension there in the kingdom because we're supposed to be constantly forgiving, 70 times 7, which means don't count how many times you forgive, we're to turn the other cheek, we're to love our enemy, we're to pray for them. And uh, of course, you know, for those who are in our lives that are toxic and unsaved, we may be the only point of connection for the gospel for them. And so um, we got a lot of good feedback. None of it was like people arguing or anything. It was very, it was actually very mature. Uh, Matter of fact, somebody commented on it, say, hey, it's nice that we can disagree without, you know, crucifying each other. And so um, I thought maybe it would be important to readdress that topic here because I stand by everything I wrote. Um, there are going to be times in your life where the Holy Spirit will lead you to tell somebody we cannot be a part of each other's lives right now, and here is why. Um, the the danger in saying that is it could permit wounded Orphan spirited people to hide from every challenging relationship in their life. And of course, that's not what I'm saying. When I'm talking about toxic people and our need to sever ties, to cut them off, let's just use that term to say no more. I'm not going to be a part of your life. You're not going to be an active part of my life. And here's why. Um, By the time you reach that conclusion, Maybe I should have explained this in my post a little bit better for those who struggled. And I did explain it in the comments section. But we're assuming that it's not an immediate cutoff for a one-time infraction. We're assuming that we've gone the gospel route, that we've offered mercy and grace, that we have prayed, that we've dialogued. We're not talking about a knee-jerk reaction to somebody that hurt our feelings. Nope, that's that's not Christ. I'm talking about somebody who has proven themselves to be a perpetually negative, borderline dangerous um, influence in your life, and it could be that you yourself can handle this type of person, but maybe your spouse can't, maybe your children can't, maybe your certain season that you're in can't handle somebody else's mess because you're dealing with your own mess and um sadly in the church there is an unwillingness to consider that at times god will tell you do not allow that person to influence you your loved ones or those that you're responsible for go ahead and draw a boundary and drawing boundaries is is essential if we're going to stay on mission with the lord if we're not going to become victims of somebody else's toxicity, which drags us down and or away from God's purposes for our lives. And I think the premise that I want to kind of build this podcast episode on today is this. There is only one Savior, and it's not you. There is nothing in Scripture that tells me That the responsibility for somebody else's life and walk with the Lord or even their salvation is completely dependent on me laying down myself on a perpetual basis so that the hope might be that this person will start acting according to the gospel one day. There is only one Savior and he did lay down his life. And yes, I get it. We are to live lives of sacrifice. We are to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be merciful. We're to be compassionate. We're to be forgiving. And to, as much as it depends on us, we're to be at peace with all people. But you've got to realize there are some people that will never be at peace. Therefore, they can never be at peace with you. And I'm not telling you who that is in your life. I'm just saying these are principles that I'm going to release to you today and you have to figure out, is this a season where God is leading you to draw a boundary with people of toxicity in your life? And it's always done with the hope that they will, um, well, they will acclimate to what you're saying the boundary is in your life. In other words, you're not responsible for what they do. You're not telling them what they're going to do. You are saying, this is what I'm going to do. You are Uh, permitted as the Lord leads you to define the boundaries that you have with other people in your life. You are not allowed to tell them what they're not going to do. You're just simply saying here is a boundary. I am drawing it. If you cross this boundary, this is what will happen. If you honor this boundary, we can have hope of growing our relationship, but I am drawing the boundary for my life. And as of right now, this boundary, unless it's honored by you, is going to result in me and you not having the type of relationship we've had in the past. So in the defense of those that disagree with this, I get it because uh, people that are very evangelistic would say you can never do that. Uh, People that are very pastoral will say you can never do that. Prophetic people will say, amen, Jeff, say it louder. Apostolic people will say, yep, Jeff, don't let anything interfere with the the mission of God. Time is short. We don't have time to waste on toxic people in our lives. Um, And I understand all the different views on this. But who cares what we say? What does it matter what we say? What does the Bible say? And so I want to build... um, I guess a a biblical foundation for this possibility that the Lord would have us to sever ties with people. Um, Not that they can't ever be reconnected, but at some point that doesn't depend on you. It depends on the person's response to what is going to happen in your life. In other words, you get to decide how you're going to live. You should be prayerful. You will give an account to God for how you decide. And in your relationships, you'll give an account to God for your part. But um, what does the Bible say? So let me give you principles, okay? And when when I give you a a kingdom principle from the word, um, you have to decide to what degree does it apply to your personal life, your personal um, situation, and in this context, a relationship with a difficult person. These are principles that show us that the Bible actually says, it actually commands at times for Christians to sever ties. Isn't that incredible? So there's a tension, a tension between what Jesus said about turning the other cheek, what the Bible says about being forgiving and gracious and compassionate. There's a tension between that and then at times the word of God saying, when you have this type of person in your life, you have to walk away. All right. You interested in learning more? Let's do it. First Corinthians five In first Corinthians five, the apostle Paul is writing to a church. that has got a lot of sin in it. Got relational sin, got sexual sin, got um, irreverence, got selfishness, got greed, got factions and division in the church. The church of Corinth was messed up and he writes in chapter five, verse number nine through 13, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Okay, right there, Paul is talking to Christians and telling them in the letter I wrote you last time, I, I told you, don't. Associate with sexually immoral people. Then in verse ten, he clarifies. He says, "Not at all," meaning the sexually immoral of the world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. Since you would need to go out of the world, so he's saying, "I'm not telling you to isolate yourself from unsaved sinners in the culture, and you can't come near them." He said, "In order to do that, you'd never you'd be able to leave the house. You'd have to live on another planet." So he clarifies further in verse eleven. He says, "But I'm writing you now." to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. So he's talking about somebody that says they're a Christian. He says, don't associate with them if they're guilty of sexual immorality, greed, if they're idolatrous, if they're a revival, or excuse me, a reviler just means argumentative, somebody that is loose with their words and mouth and very um, hostile. Um, He says, don't associate with them if they're a drunkard or a cheat, He says, don't even eat with such a one. Now, that's pretty intense. Paul is here giving this kingdom key in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are absolutely commanded to draw lines and boundaries of separation with people that call themselves Christians, but live in open patterns patterns of sinful behavior. That may sound legalistic to you, but there's no other way to interpret that. That's what the Bible says. It's not practiced very often, which is all the more the reason why a Facebook post saying, hey, you may need to cut some people off in your life. It's, you know, by some like, wait a minute, man, that doesn't sound like Jesus to us. Well, it's because we don't really know the word of God. Paul says this, he says in that same passage in in the next verse, was verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 5. He says, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church? whom you are to judge. God judges those on the outside, and then he gives this command in 1 Corinthians 5.13, purge the evil person from among you. (laughs) So that is the Apostle Paul saying to people who are saved. If you have another person that says they're saved, but they're living in ways that flagrantly oppose the spirit of Christ, and they're insisting on remaining that way, And their lifestyle is apparent to all, whether it's immorality and sexual behavior, greed, idolatry, drunkenness, a cheater, meaning a person with no integrity. Paul says, purge them from among you. So right off the bat, you actually have a command in scripture that at times requires us to separate from people. And that's given to the entire church. Jesus spoke of a process by which you seek reconciliation with people who've sinned against you, that you do go after them, and the approach is um, really, the outcome is determined on how that person responds to your obedience to the approach, and the approach is given in Matthew 18, and it's very clear, this is not unclear, it's just not practiced often, and Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, so that's one-on-one, somebody has sinned against you, some way that they are living, something they said, something they did has resulted in you being sinfully wounded. You go and tell them what they've done. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So right off the bat, the biblical process includes a one-on-one conversation. Hey, brother, this is what you said or did. This is how it impacted me. This was sin by you against me. And I would like for you and I to get that worked out privately. Can we talk about it? That's the first step. Okay. So you're already on a mission of reconciliation. So this is just, I mean, this is the way Jesus says to do it. And then he says, if that brother listens to you, Matthew 18, 15, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Meaning that's the first goal reconciliation restoration let's be true let's you violated a boundary my friend my brother you violated a boundary that's resulted in sin against me by you I'd like for us to talk about it if you'll acknowledge it I'll forgive it and we will gain our brotherhood again then verse 16 Jesus says but if he doesn't listen take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is pretty familiar territory for most of you that listen to this podcast. Jesus says if that, that brother in this, in this hypothetical situation will not repent, will not honor what you're saying, will not see that he has sinned against you, then you take, you take another brother with you maybe two other brothers, and I'm using the masculine terms here, but two other Christians with you, and you say, hey, I know you didn't hear me last time, so I'm asking that we meet again, and I want to bring brother so-and-so with me or sister so-and-so with me because I really want to work through this. I want our relationship to be reconciled. I'm still pursuing relationship with you, but we have this thing that has not been dealt with, and we cannot, as people of Jesus and people of the truth, pretend that this isn't in play. So in other words, if I can expand it a little bit, somebody is operating in a way that is it is painful, sinful, and relationally harmful. And so you're doing your best to reconcile it. They didn't hear you, so you're going to bring two other people. And the goal here is not attack, it's restoration. But it has to be restoration based on truth. And so he says, Jesus says in verse 17 of Matthew 18, if he refuses to listen to them, you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be, this is the phrase, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is saying, if the person refuses to repent of what they have said or done, then you treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector, which frankly were two massive outcasts in Jewish culture. Uh, The Gentile was separated by religion, separated by race, separated by culture. Jews and Gentiles did not treat each other well. They didn't have anything to do with each other. That was the culture that Jesus was living in. He's not saying that that was culturally appropriate. He's just saying, you know how these things work between Jew and Gentile. And then he says, and the tax collector was a Jew who had sold out his people to go and collect taxes on behalf of the Roman government, and they would typically charge more taxes than the Roman government was asking, and they kept that overcharge, and so they were viewed as traitorous. And and Jesus literally says, if a person refuses to repent and acknowledge the truth and come into alignment, then you reject them. That's Jesus. That's not Jeff Lyle saying that. That's Jesus. So it's a kingdom principle. The principle is there are certain situations and circumstances that cannot be reconciled. And your only choice in that moment is to walk away. You literally treat them as somebody that you'll have nothing to do with. That's what Jesus said. Now, I think the understanding based on, you know, I don't want to cherry pick one statement from Jesus. The understanding is if there is ever repentance, by this person. If they will honor the boundaries that you've set up, if they will acknowledge their wrongdoing against you, then you welcome them back. But forgiveness and reconciliation requires an acknowledgement of the truth and an agreement about how things are going to be moving forward. And if one person chooses not to agree to that, you are not a prisoner of their refusal to decide. You get to walk away. You get to draw the boundary. Okay? Okay. Then in the book of Titus, Paul writes in Titus chapter three, in verses two and eleven, this is, this is pretty pretty clear too. He says, as for a person who stirs up division, say toxic people, as a person, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Plain as day. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So Paul is writing and telling this to Titus, who is a leader in the church. He's saying there are people that are just bent on stirring up division. You need to warn them. Don't just warn them once, warn them twice. But if they do not change their ways, it is very clear what the word of God says, have nothing more to do with him. And then it even tells you what the motivation of that separation is. You are knowing then, because they refuse to change their ways, such a person is warped and sinful. He's self-condemned. In other words, his actions reveal what type of person he is. And therefore, you are justified after warning them once or twice. They do not change, have nothing more to do with them. Now, guys, I really do want to encourage you to be thoughtful and prayerful about this. But what I'm trying to do is alleviate the presumed guilt in a lot of people's lives that, you know, they just believe I'm never allowed to sever ties with anybody. That's not biblical. As a matter of fact, there are times we are actually told to do it. And God knows why he would say that to us. You don't have to feel good about it. I never feel good when I have to sever ties with somebody because I know if both people will stay and abide in Christ, those relationship difficulties can be worked out. But if one person chooses not to do that, the relationship is unsustainable until both people are abiding in Christ with repentant and honoring, uh, repentant hearts and honoring one another. And if somebody is in your life and has repeated patterns of division and strife, the Bible says they're warped and sinful. Titus 3.11, warped and sinful. And then in Titus 3.10, it says, have nothing more to do with them. Paul goes on and writes second in 2 Thessalonians 3.14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them that he may be ashamed. So again, Paul is saying, hey, look, If they don't obey this letter, and of course, Paul's writing apostolic doctrine under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and so by application, you can say, if a person is bound to determine to be disobedient to the word of God, and the presumption is, is their disobedience is negatively impacting you and others in a way that is just very toxic, then you you have to know that you have permission to have nothing to do with them. I mean, it's just there that that kind of living, you're to take note of that person. Second Thessalonians 3.14. It means you are mentally saying, hmm, this is that type of person. And this type of person who does not obey what the word of God says is bringing friction, division, toxicity, and turmoil into my life and the life of those that I love I am going to have nothing to do with them until they change. Very clear. And then Paul writes again. It's very interesting to me that a lot of these verses are coming as an apostle instructing Christians and leaders how to deal with this stuff. So this is instructional. These are not like little side notes. Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 19 and 20. He's continuing a thought and he says, That people, people walking with our Lord are holding faith and a good conscience, meaning they're walking by faith. They're walking with a clear conscience before the Lord. And then he introduces a second group of people by rejecting this, by rejecting the need to hold to the faith and living with a good conscience, before God and man, some reject this principle and they make shipwreck of their faith. And then he names names. Ho, Verse 20, 1 Timothy 1.20, among whom, among these type of people are these two guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander. So Paul says, hey, I'm going to tell you two guys that um, you don't need to have anything to do with Timothy. Hymenaeus is the one dude and Alexander is the other dude. And Timothy would have been reading it It's like, yeah, I know those two guys. And then listen to what Paul says. This is intense. Paul says of Hymenaeus and Alexander, I have handed them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Wow. So the apostle Paul says, for Hymenaeus and Alexander, by the way, that Greek word blaspheme can, also, can speak of religious blasphemy against God, but it also means slander. It can be slander against Paul's authority or Paul's leadership or even Timothy's. Regardless of whether it was theological blaspheming or relational slander, Paul got to the place where he said, Hymenaeus and Alexander, don't listen. They're not going to do what's right. They are never going to cooperate until God breaks them. So I, in my apostolic authority, Paul says, have handed them over to Satan so that they can learn not to blaspheme or to slander. In other words, their behavior was so toxic, so divisive, so maybe theologically off, that Paul said, I can't do anything with them. I'm going to remove my blessing, remove my covering. I'm going to literally turn them over to Satan. What that all involved, I do not know. It's not explained. It's just stated. I'm turning them over to Satan. And the end result, Paul says, is when Satan does whatever he's going to do, his hope, Paul's hope, was that they will learn the lesson not to speak in ways that do not honor God. So my point in that one is this. If you're turning somebody over to Satan, that, does, that means you're not having coffee with them on Tuesday. That means you're not hanging out. That means you're not pretending everything's okay. That means you are not... Um, misapplying the call to turn the other cheek. It means you are using your spirit anointed mind to draw wise conclusions that these are among people who will not change. God is going to have to deal with them. And so in essence, you release them to whatever needs to happen. And Paul in apostolic authority said, I'm, (laughs) I don't know how to process this. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. I turned them over to Satan. That's intense, man. So if turning people over to Satan was something that Paul did, I think if you even dilute that a little bit, you can say there may be times, maybe we don't have the apostolic authority to turn people over to Satan, but you do have the Christian wisdom to say, this person's not going to change. I turn them over to the Lord and the Lord will deal with them, but they will not be a part of my life until they change. Intense stuff, right? It's just so funny how, you know, our mushy, snowflakey kind of um, hypersensitive, like, you know, the 11th commandment is thou must always be nice. Um, like, that's just made up stuff, guys. You got to read your Bible. We need the whole counsel of God. I'm going to do a podcast on the whole counsel of God because what happens is people latch on to one or two themes in the kingdom and they make that the entire kingdom. And so because they think the entire kingdom is be sweet, be evangelistic, make sure you do whatever you can do to win people to Jesus, never give up on anybody. And in a certain context, that, that stuff's right. But they, they inflate it so much that it eclipses all the other things that are said in the Bible, including the stuff I'm saying today. And so love does not enable people to successfully le- live outside of the will and the ways of God. That's not love. That's enablement. You're actually helping them continue in unbroken patterns of relational sin. And by refusing to draw boundaries and say thus far and no more, you're actually permitting them to, to, to get away with living in such patterns of behavior that there's no incentive for them to repent because they think it's fine because everybody puts up with it. And so what the Bible is teaching us here that sometimes, by the way, that, um, oh goodness, where was it? Um, yeah, that, that verse, Titus and Titus 3.11, uh, or, or, or t- Titus 3.10, one of these said, so that they may feel the shame of it. They may feel the shame. Yeah, it's 2 Thessalonians 3.14 it says, have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. That's in the Bible. So in other words, when you cut them off, God wants them to feel the stigma of having been disassociated by you because of the way they've been behaving. We can't always live for people to feel pleasant. Love is not me always making you feel awesome about you. That is a a morphed, deformed view of love. Love is me seeking your highest good. And sometimes the highest good for people is that you have to tell them the way you're living and behaving and how you're impacting me and my loved ones and those I'm responsible for is sinful And I'm not going to let you do it anymore. And God says they need to be ashamed. They need to feel that. And that just flies in the face of so much of what we hear in Christianity today because we think, oh, man, Jesus would never make people feel bad about themselves, which is just yet another foolish conclusion that is absolutely not supported by Scripture. Jesus constantly, get behind me, Satan. You think Peter felt good when he heard Jesus say that? Get behind me, Satan. What about James and John when they wanted to rain down fire on Samaria and Jesus looks at him and says, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. And, and, you know, <laughs> you've got the Lord flipping tables and calling scribes and Pharisees snakes and vipers and full of dead men bones that made people feel bad. And yet, we don't have any appetite for that in our culture. I'm not saying we need to go around and you know, just be obnoxious and abrasive. But my goodness, if there's somebody in your life that's ruining your life, you may have solid biblical ground to dismiss them, at least temporarily, from your life until they feel the weight of what they've done and hopefully repent. Now, give me a few more minutes, okay? I typically am done by 30 minutes or so. Let me just go a couple more minutes. Proverbs 14, 7. Crystal clear Throw one Old Testament verse in there. Proverbs 14, seven, leave the presence of a fool for there. You do not meet words of knowledge, leave the presence of a fool. Now the book of Proverbs describes the fool over and over and over again. Do a word search in your Bible app for the word fool. And then just read all of the Proverbs that talk about the fool. And you will be able to classify if this person in your life that is toxic, that's an overused word, but it's a good one because they're just some people who poison your life. They make you spiritually sick, relationally sick, emotionally sick, mentally sick. And you keep welcoming them in and you never challenge them and you don't draw boundaries because you're afraid that you're operating in guilt. There's only one savior. It's not you. There's only one sanctifier. It's not you. It's not you. You can't live with the responsibility of somebody's salvation resting on your shoulders or their sanctification resting on your shoulders. Maybe their salvation is to stop spiritually drafting behind you, hiding behind your salvation. Maybe they need to be thrust away and stand naked and trembling before the God that they're living in opposition to. Same thing for sanctification. You may have to cut them off if they're ever going to be sanctified, because every time you just let them cross boundary after boundary after boundary, you're telling them, it's okay with me. And by the way, they're aware of it. Sometimes it can even be as toxic as bullying or intimidation or any of that. And the Bible just says in Proverbs 14, seven, if that person as described by scripture is clearly a foolish person or a fool, then the Bible says, leave their presence. We call that cutting off. We call that walking away. This stuff is like even exhausting to talk about because I I just feel the fight. I'm actually fighting for you, by the way. I'm fighting for you to come out from under guilt um, and a false expectation that God wants you to be someone you're not to be or to do something on a continual basis you're not to do. And sometimes the only thing, especially if a a person in your family, and you got to listen, please there are other passages talking about marriage and grounds for divorce and all of that. You can't hijack this podcast and say, my spouse irritates the fire to me. They're never going to change. I'm leaving. That's not what I'm telling you to do. It, that the intensity of scrutiny goes up when we're talking about marriage vows being broken. So you better be real careful that you're not taking this as permission to walk away from your spouse because you've had it. You've got to, you've got to really process that with the Lord. I'm talking about more peripheral relationships. Um, I, I had to make a decision years ago in my family with a family member that was toxic, constantly negative. I would say even demonized, although not volatile, not violent, but toxic philosophy, toxic ideas, toxic theology, toxic observations, toxic politics for that matter. And, um, I watched how it was affecting my wife and my children that were very small at that time. And I had a very difficult conversation with this person. As a matter of fact, um, got in the car and said, I'm taking you back to your house. Um, And sadly, they never had anything to do with my family again until they died. Why did I do that? Uh, Because my call is to protect my wife and children and that person would not change. I was very clear. Here's why we're not going to be able to continue a relationship. Here's why I'm making this decision. Here's why at this point, until you change, you, will, you can have access to me, but you will not have access to my family. And uh, boy, I got blistered for that by other members of my family. But I tell you what, I come home and I look at my wife and my kids and I know I did it for them. And I don't mind saying, good job, Jeff. you were a good husband and a good dad. A very unpopular decision, but I did it. Um, yeah, let's just stop there. I was going to talk to you from Matthew 16 when Jesus, uh, literally walked away from scribes and Pharisees. He rebuked them and he walked away. They were religiously toxic. He said, I got nothing to do with you anymore. Um, when Nazareth refused to honor Jesus and he walked away that day, they were going to kill him. He walked away. He couldn't do any mighty works there. Um, they didn't honor him. They, they dishonored him and he never went back to Nazareth and that was his hometown. He walked away. He cut him off. They could have in any moment, they could have received him, repented, come to him. But he said, yeah, I'm done coming to you. I've given you everything I have to give You've, You're saying no as a city and I'm done. So um, not a very uplifting episode today, but man, I think some of y'all got some help. So please process this with the Lord. Don't be hasty. Recognize all the things I talked about, about going to the person, explaining what your expectations are, drawing the clear boundary. Give them a minute to adjust to the new boundaries because they may make some mistakes, but they may be trying, but you're going to need discernment on this. But eventually some of you just need to recognize I can't be responsible any longer for this person's dysfunction that is negatively impacting me, my family, those that I'm responsible for. I'm not going to do it anymore. And you say, Lord, please help this person. You continue to pray for this person. You you welcome God to do what he wants to do because he's way more interested in their repentance than you are because it cost him way more than it ever cost you. But you're not the savior. And so don't live with the guilt of not being able to save everybody, especially when they are bent on walking in ways that are not of the Lord. Thanks for listening today. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. If you were helped by what Jeff shared today, please take a moment to rate and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or Spotify. Your review helps us enlarge our digital footprint to reach more potential listeners every week. Also, please take advantage of the free written and video resources made available at transformingtruth.org. Join us again every Tuesday for a brand new episode of Mavericks and Misfits.